Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to go over the 2021 NFL Draft, the Bengals draft choices, and their impact on the roster. And then Sands is going to come by to take a closer look at some of these prospects as well. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Welcome to the 2021 NFL Draft. Seven new linemen. That's the story of this draft. Seven new linemen. We totally tried to fix the trenches of the Cincinnati Bengals in this draft. Three new offensive linemen for Frank Pollock to mold. A second, a fourth, and a sixth rounder. And four new defensive linemen for Marion Hobby to get used to the Bengals' scheme and to groom as our players from day one. As you guys have heard me say on multiple occasions, I wanted to bring in four new offensive linemen, and we actually now have done that with Riley Reef and free agency, and then three draft choices. That's four guys. I was hoping for four starting quality level players, but we have probably one to two at least right now, and then another one or two that can be groomed to be starters in the future, hopefully. That would be the perfect draft if all three of these draft picks panned out and eventually became starters. So first round, we went best player available, and I cannot argue with that one bit. You know, I was a guy who was really pressing to get Sewell and beef up that offensive line, but really, I have no complaints about getting Jamar Chase. Aside from the quarterbacks, he was the second best player in this draft. You had Kyle Pitts, and then you had Jamar Chase. And when it was time for the Bengals to pick, they chose the best player on their board, and it's going to be a guy that is hopefully going to help us out for at least a decade. So the other big story from the draft is the Bengals traded down eight spots in the second round to pick up two additional fourth rounders. And Coach Taylor described it as, hey, we don't want to be in a position where week 12, week 13, we're signing guys off the street because of injury and whatnot. So they tried to take matters in their own hands, put a whole bunch of depth in the trenches. And Coach Taylor said that as the draft developed, they kept seeing more and more players that they liked that would be around in the fourth round. So it made sense for them to trade in this case. And what we did is... In this trade, we moved down the eight spots to get Jackson Carmen, who I've heard from a couple sources that he was their top choice for offensive line at that point. I don't know if they're spinning that for damage control or if that is the truth. I'm hoping it's the truth, and then that means that we got the guy that we wanted. And in doing so, we passed on Tevin Jenkins, who was pretty highly rated, Liam Eichenberg, and Walker Little, plus a few other marquee defensive players. And in return, we have Jackson Carmen, and then we got Tyler Shelvin and Deontay Smith. That's going to be the barometer on how well we did in this trade. It's going to be how well does Jackson Carmen compare to Jenkins, Eichenberg, and Little, and then what kind of value we get out of Shelvin and Deontay Smith. In a perfect world, Carmen's the best player of all those, or at least equivalent to the other three guys, and Shelvin becomes a nice rotational piece for us, and Deontay Smith eventually becomes a starter. That would be the ideal outcome of this trade. Obviously, the, the reverse of that would be Carmen not working out you know, one of the three linemen that we passed on working out, and then, you know, the other two guys that we drafted not totally panning out. So, you know, it could go either way. We're not going to know that probably for at least two to three years on how well this trade did for us. But we did accumulate, you know, a bunch of players on this, and hopefully the guys that we did accumulate with this trade are going to produce for us. There were a lot of trades in the draft, as always, but a lot of second-round trades. The top of the second round I think there was like four trades or so, or you know, three or four right before the Bengals picked. 
So the Bengals weren't alone in saying, hey, we can still get our guy, move back a little bit, and get some draft capital for later. But you guys know how I feel about that. I'm, I'm like, you know, based on the Bengals' history, rounds three through seven, you don't get a lot of starting quality players there. I'm a fan of get as many top 50 draft choices as you can. And unfortunately, this year, we only got two top 50 draft choices. Hopefully, Asai works out and he becomes one of those top 50 type guys. And we can say that we pulled three out of this draft. But as of now, we only have two top 50 players. We traded back for more depth and more players. And I hope it works out. Because typically after the third round, you're not getting a lot of starters. I would rather stockpile at the top, as I've said before. So let's summarize this draft in a sentence or two. We got three starters, three defensive linemen for the rotation, three line projects, two offensive, one defense, three project guys that could be starters, could pan out, could not, we don't know. And then we have a pass-catching running back. And by the starters, I'm talking about Chase, McPherson and hopefully Carmen will be the starting guard for us this year as well. And then when you move on to the three projects on the offensive line, they were saying that on the NFL Network broadcast, it's almost like lottery tickets. There's not a lot of data to go by as compared to previous years on these late round draft choices. So you're just kind of taking a crapshoot, you know, getting as many as you can and hopefully some of them work out. So overall, I give the Bengals a B on this draft. As it was going on, it was almost feeling like a C. But when you took a step back afterwards and analyzed what we got out of this, you know, there's enough functional players. If, if, you, if you come away with three starters, that's a winning draft. If you come away with one top-of-the-league player, maybe, you know, on pace for Pro Bowls like Chase, even that's a successful draft. Like last year, if we pulled Burrow and Higgins and no one else worked out, that's still an A to me because of the guys that we pulled. So hopefully Chase works out. Hopefully Carmen works out. Hopefully we have a kicker who's going to be here for a decade. Hopefully the pass rushers amount to guys that can really contribute and be productive and get part of that rotation. And hopefully a few of the project guys work out and, and you know within a year or two or three, those are reliable starters for us as well. Round 1. Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. What do you say about Jamar Chase? The best wide receiver in this draft. Some say the best wide receiver prospect to come out in the last few years. We got ourselves a starter. We got ourselves probably a number one receiver. We got ourselves probably a superstar, a pro bowler. Someone to take the top off the defense, a deep threat like we all have been saying that we've needed for months. He's a strong player, hard to tackle out there, almost runs like a running back, you know, with that like six foot, 200 pound frame. And his size and strength is going to translate to good blocking down the field. So that's going to help Mixon. It's going to help everybody. He's got the chemistry with Burrow. He's a national champion. He had 20 touchdowns the last time he played with Joe Burrow. So you cannot not be excited about this pick. And he's got that same kind of intensity as Burrow, too. It's almost like he has that confidence without being cocky and unlikable. And there's like a quiet intensity like... Just watch. I'm going to show you what I can do. And he's wearing the number one. Round two. Jackson Carmen, offensive lineman, Clemson. So Carmen is a pretty much a lifetime college tackle who we're going to move over to right guard. And at 6'4", 317, he has the frame to do that. You know, you want to see your guards 
over 305 pounds. So at him coming in at 317, and these scouting reports are all over the world. I've seen him at 317. I've seen him at 330. Uh, you can't even tell what anyone's real height and weight is. But, you know, if we go with the number 317, that's solid to be a guard. Hopefully they can teach him to play that position. Frank Pollock is a master teacher and a great coach. So hopefully that'll all work out. Carmen played in the SEC, so he's used to top-level competition. He's originally from Cincy. I know we're kind of partial to taking guys that are from the area when, you know, when A equals B, we'll go with the hometown guy. And, you know, I don't blame it. He had a back issue in college. I don't know how much that's going to play into the future for him. But if he's healthy, hopefully we have a starting guard for years to come. Maybe even, you know, he kicks out to tackle eventually. Round three, Joseph Osai, defensive lineman, Texas. All right, so three things stand out about Osai. One, the quote from him, I'm not afraid of anyone on that field. Uh, You love that mentality. Come on. And, you know, we've all been around players like that on the field. The guy who goes forward into the fray rather than backing out of it. The other thing I liked, a 4-6-40. That's good out of an edge rusher that size. And that was the other thing that I like, 6'3", 256. So a decent frame, excellent speed, not afraid of anything out there. They say he's relentless with a high motor. His production in college probably would have been even a little bit better if he was a pass rusher all the way through. I think they played him inside and on rundowns a lot. But now he's going to just specialize in going after the quarterback. And this is the only guy that we drafted this year that's going to have a role on special teams. I mean, Evan McPherson, obviously the kicker is, but the other guys are all offensive and defensive linemen. You know, you might see some of them blocking on kicks and stuff. But for the most part, as far as kick coverage and being out there in the high-flying mix, Osai is going to be the top special teamer out of this draft. Really happy with this pick. We needed edge rushers. And you got a guy who everyone's saying is a third-round steal. I'm crossing my fingers. Drafted number 69 in the draft, so still a top 100 player. Round 4, Cameron Sample, defensive lineman, Tulane. All right, in Cam Sample, we have a different type of pass rusher. He's a little bit bigger than Osai. Right, we have a guy who's more in the 270 range than in the 250 range. So that'll enable him to move inside on third downs occasionally and rush from the middle. You know, he's he's not just going to be an outside guy. You kind of can move him all around, which I like. Another pass rusher. They're not going to ask him to do much except come in on third downs and do your thing, whether it's from the inside or from the outside. And that's what I like. You know, I almost like having defensive ends who are kind of all-purpose run stuffers, but I also like having defensive ends that the only thing they're thinking about all week long is their couple moves and how they're going to get at that quarterback. He was a two-time captain in college. We always like to see those guys described as violent and a bully. So he's going to be a guy that fits into the rotation because you can't have enough good pass rushers. And that's the thing. You know, you grab a couple, and hopefully one of them really pans out. Hopefully they all pan out. But, you know, the more that you have, the more chances that you're going to have a guy that comes in and gets double-digit sacks. Round four, Tyler Shelvin, defensive lineman, LSU. So Shelvin's another Joe Burrow teammate. I kind of like that they're bringing in guys from that championship team. You know, let Joe feel a little bit at home, get a few of his his former teammates on the roster. Tyler Shelvin was the guy who carried Joe Burrow off the field when they won the national championship. So hopefully that's a foreshadowing of what we're going to see in the next couple years when he's carrying Joe Burrow off the field with a Lombardi in his hand. So what we have here is a rotational nose tackle, and he has almost the exact same body type as Tupo and Reader. 
Now you have three of those big nose tackle types to rotate in there. I'm getting the feeling that this guy is going to work out. You know, when you get that round four guy, I'm never that high on him. But someone that's going to come in and be a nose tackle, sometimes those guys get overlooked for the more exciting picks or the guys that are going to be on the field on third down. You know, that's the critical down in the NFL. This guy's more of a first and second down player. You know, maybe this is a case where you do get a fourth rounder who's going to be a continuous contributor to the team. Round four, Deontay Smith, offensive lineman, East Carolina. So with Deontay Smith, you get a six foot five, two hundred ninety four pound offensive lineman with good movement and long arms. He impressed him at the Senior Bowl. He had twenty six straight starts. Then he had some injury problems, but I think he should be okay for this season. He really is more of a tackle than a guard. So this might not be the guy that you're going to slide over to guard, but he could be in the backup tackle rotation. And again, he's a developmental player. So we'll see what we have here. Hopefully, again, Frank Pollock works his magic and we get another productive player here. Round 5, Evan McPherson, kicker, Florida. So the Bengals needed a kicker, and we decided, hey, if we need a kicker, let's get the best one coming out in the draft this year. So there's Evan McPherson. I listened to an interview with him. I've read a few things. He's got a great attitude. You know, he talked about, hey, there's 32 jobs at my position, and I'm determined to be one of those people filling one of those 32 jobs. So I I don't know. I just like that mentality that he had there. You know, it's a round five pick. And again, you think, oh, they could have gotten another position there, a wide receiver, another lineman, a linebacker even. And yeah, you know, those are all valid points. But when you think about it, how many starters do you pull out of the fifth round? And now we have a guy who, you know, if all goes right, he could be kicking here for 10 years. 85% accuracy. I think he missed one extra point in college. He's got a really good leg. You can see that leg even getting stronger over the next couple years. He hit 450 yarders in college, so that's good. Hopefully that translates to the NFL. You know, you need guys that can bang 50s consistently. We haven't really had that in a few years. With a rookie kicker like this, there are going to be mistakes. Don't expect him to be perfect. Don't expect, I mean, he hasn't even kicked a game winner, a walk-off yet, I think he, he mentioned. So... You know, we could be faced this season where he misses a a kick and we lose a game. But you can't totally sell a guy down the river for one or two mistakes. There's going to be a learning curve to get in this league. But if he plays like his attitude and he plays like his performance in college, we got ourselves a good one here. Round 6, Trey Hill, offensive lineman, Georgia. So now Trey Hill, sixth rounder. This is where you kind of get into the project where we don't know how productive he's going to be right away. You know, you don't know if he's going to pan out or not being a a really late round draft choice, but you do have Frank Pollock in there. And there's some encouraging things about Trey Hill. He had over 20 starts in the SEC. He's a center, which you, you can use another pure center on your roster. I think they're going to move him over to right guard. But with all those starts in the SEC as a center... You know, he can go there in a pinch. So maybe we have a backup to Hopkins and Price. You know, you never know what the future's going to bring at that position. They say he's a mauler, and those are my favorite kind of interior linemen. He's got the same specs as Trey Hopkins, 6'3", 319 range. But it feels like he's a little bit more of a stronger, aggressive player than that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. The thing I liked was he was injured for a chunk of last year. But he came back to be healthy enough to participate in his pro day. So that's good that he showed that kind of resilience in coming back and saying, you know, you're not going to deny me my NFL dream. So you never know what's going to happen. Maybe Frank Pollock takes a sixth-round pick and turns him into a perennial starter. Round six, 
Chris Evans, running back, Michigan. So a couple things to like about Chris Evans. That 4-4-4-40 is pretty formidable. And we got that pass-catching running back that I said that we needed. I figured they would target one. I'm glad they have one. I, I, they got him late, but that's where you get running backs now. You can get a productive running back, 5th, 6th, 7th, and undrafted. So, you know, we don't know what his role is going to be. I'm hoping that he pans out. 5'10", 219, that's a good frame for blocking. So this could really be a guy that contributes on third down by being an excellent pass catcher, being very quick in space, and having the frame to hold up in the blocking game. You know, we'll see if he turns out being a practice squad guy or just, you know, one of those backup running backs, or maybe he comes in and and finds himself a role. You know, you just don't know until the pads come on and the bullets start flying. But I'm happy to have taken a flyer on a guy in round six that's a pass-catching running back. I don't, you know, you can't really make a mistake there. Round seven, Wyatt Hubert, defensive lineman, Kansas State. So Wyatt Hubert is another high-motor guy, very similar in build to Hendrickson and Hubbard. So, you know, a player that we're familiar with on this roster. I think he actually, like, really looks up to Hendrickson, so that's good. It's almost like an A.J. Green, T. Higgins situation where you have a guy mentoring you that you really admire and a guy that's kind of similar specs to you. I've seen him at 265. I've seen him at 275. I'm not sure exactly where he falls there, but good size. And I see him more as, as that type of defensive end that's more of a run stopper. Not, I mean, he did have eight and a half sacks and 13 tackles for losses. You know, So maybe I'm talking out of turn here, but he's not labeled as an edge rusher. He's labeled more as a defensive end. And he's a project. He could work himself onto the roster, you know, possibly if into the rotation if, you know, the light goes on and the cards line up for him. You know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, you can't go wrong again. Late round, take a flyer on another pass rusher and another defensive end, another lineman. You know, at that point, you just never know. And now, you know, he becomes one of four new guys coming in this year. And, you know, all of them have a chance to work out. We'll see what happens. So those are the 10 new players that we got in this year's draft. It's going to be hard for all 10 to make the active roster. It's You don't see that often where 10 draft choices make the team. But, you know, some of these guys could be on the practice squad. You know, we'll see what happens. And to all you players, I'm going to say this again. You control your destiny at this point. You're in the NFL right now. The opportunity is there. Maybe you don't have the same specs and speed and college accolades as some of the guys at the top of the draft, but you're in the arena right now. You have a chance. So what do you do? Get stronger. Get faster. Make this your life. Stay flexible. Avoid injuries. You know, stretch constantly. Get your mind in the right spot. Study, study, study. Learn from the people that are doing it the right way. You know, listen to what the coaches are telling you and process things. You know, this is what works for me. This is what doesn't work for me. You all have a chance to be superstar NFL players. Tom Brady, sixth rounder, has done it. Terrell Davis, sixth rounder, has done it. A bunch of undrafted guys. You don't have to be at the top of the draft to be a success in this league. You have the opportunity. It's a matter of how hard you're going to work. You keep yourself healthy, you do the right things, you make this your focus, and you got a shot. And team-wise, you know, this is a chance to develop a whole bunch of guys in the trenches with our schemes and our philosophies. As we talked about at the top, seven new linemen, you know, four on one side of the ball, three on the other side of the ball. 
You know, as Coach Taylor said, hopefully we're not signing guys off the street now. Hopefully we have guys that we've groomed in our system and guys that are capable of being productive and dominant in the trenches. That's where games are won and lost. We took that to heart this year. We built the team from the lines out, which is the right way to do things. (laughs) Roster Analysis So let's take a quick look at the roster impact on each position group from this draft. Quarterback, obviously we didn't draft a quarterback, but we have some gifts for Joe Burrow. We're giving you your favorite wide receiver and a guy that has a chance at being at the top of the league. And another piece on that offensive line, a nice young player, highly rated, hopefully gives you some additional protection. So that's really the impact of this draft on the quarterback position. Running back, now we created some competition. Travion Williams was going to have a chance to step in as that pass-catching third down back. Now he's going to be competing with Chris Evans and even Puka Williams, the undrafted free agent. So we have a Williams v. Williams here and throw in Evans. Now you have three guys fighting for that spot. Wide receiver, this is going to enable us to do what we want, which is 11 personnel, meaning three wide receivers on the field, and will give us the opportunity to now have four and five wide receiver sets like we also like to do. Probably means that Stanley Morgan is going to make the roster, and it also means that we might be looking at another free agent to bring in, because once you get around that sixth, seventh wide receiver, at this point, you know, you're looking at Scotty Washington and Trenton Irwin being the top candidates, and, you know, hopefully those guys have progressed since last year and can step into that role. And if not, you know, we're probably going to need another body or two in there to increase competition and make sure that we can go through the whole season with six healthy, quality receivers. So the impact on tight end, although we didn't draft one, this almost says that Thaddeus Moss is going to have a really good chance to make this roster. And, you know, we all want that to happen. And I'm sure Joe Burrow wants that to happen. Another weapon of his in college. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully he stays healthy. Hopefully they get that chemistry that they had in college and Moss you know, gets a good shot at, at catching a lot of balls in this league. The impact on offensive line, another starting guard candidate in that mix, and then potential backups at center and tackle. This could mean the end of Michael Jordan and Fred Johnson in Cincinnati. You know, we'll see how things fly. And again, to all of you, your career is in your hands. Defensive tackle, now we have six capable defensive tackles on the roster. And it almost puts Rennell Wren on the bubble. You know, I'd love to see him healthy and see what he can do out there. The, he has a little bit of a different body type than some of the other guys, so that could be a plus or a minus. So, you know, we'll see how that works out for him. And it also means that last year's waiver signings and, you know, all those guys that we picked up kind of midseason, like your Xavier Williams, McKenzie, Akin Molendoon, he's been here for a little bit, even Covington. I don't know if Covington's eligible for the practice squad, but you're looking at that group of guys as probably being practice squad material because I think they're going to want to keep the rookies that they brought in over guys that weren't brought up in their system. Defensive end, yeah, I was worried about that. We only had four coming into the draft. Now we have seven. So that position got deep very quickly, and that's a good thing because you need depth at that position. Um, This probably means that Bledsoe, even though they just signed him, I don't know if he's going to make the roster. Maybe he goes down to the practice squad for the same mentality that they're going to want to have the rookies that they drafted that are brought up as their own take precedence over guys that came from other systems. And you could be looking at Wyatt Hubert as a practice squatter as well if he doesn't come along as fast as the other guys. So the impact on linebacker is... Basically, this kind of dictates that they're going to do a lot of two linebacker sets because if they were going to go three linebackers in you know a lot of their schemes, 
I would have said they need another one to come in. Now I think they're they're going to roll the dice with who they have. They're betting on the current roster. Hopefully all those players from last year take a step up this year. And, you know, linebacker remains a position that we don't have to worry about. And by not taking a linebacker, it gave us the ability to focus more on the trenches and the defensive line. So I'm not going to argue with that. You know, we'll see how it plays out this year. Again, you can protect a weak linebacking core by only putting two of them out there. You know, we're very strong at safety and, you know, you're in nickel and dime more than you are in base. So, you know, we'll see what they do there. And then defensive backs, same thing. It enabled us, what they did in free agency, they fortified that whole unit. You know, whether you love the players they got or not, they're they're all veterans that have been around and have experience and a lot of starts in this league. So that enabled us to not have to take that position in this draft. I'm kind of glad. You know, they had a chance to take Merrig in the second round. They opted not to. I, I almost feel that would have been a wasted pick at that point, even though he's a high-quality player. So, again, we didn't have to think about defensive backfield because of what we did in free agency. And then special teams. Hopefully you have your kicker of the future. And, again, as I said earlier, I think Osai is the only one that really has a shot at playing in the kicking game as far as coverage and, you know, the high-speed stuff. But if he turns out to be a reliable special teamer, you know, then you you technically pulled two quality special teamers out of this draft. And the fact that they didn't go for a returner probably means that Darius Phillips is going to be our punt returner for this year. So that's the impact of special teams on the roster. X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? All right, my friend. Let's get right down to business and do a deep dive into each one of these draft choices. So round one, Jamar Chase. He's uh, an elite ex-wide receiver. He's going to play outside. Um, If he is what we think he is, he's going to be awesome. He's going to be very, very important. Not only just like the touchdown catches and everything, but if he becomes a real elite wide receiver in this league, like Tyreek Hill, like uh, Devontae Adams, like all these guys then I think the, the defenses are going to have to actually um, shift their coverages and stuff towards him. I think people think about that with just pretty good wide receivers, but it's really only like the top five or so wide receivers that will force a team to play too high coverage and maybe rotate the coverage towards the wide receiver. There's not as much brackets as people think there are in the NFL. I mean, they're not doubling two guys every play. They usually have a safety deep, but – that's a, that's a tangent for Jamar Chase is an elite wide receiver prospect, and if he turns out to be an elite wide receiver, it's an, an amazing pick. I expect he's going to do really well for us. He's got a great connection with Burrow, elite body control and tracking and use of hands to get open downfield. It's uh, somewhat A.J. Green-like. Yeah, I agree. He doesn't have the height of Green, but he looks like he's pretty hungry. He had great production. The combine was off the hook. You can see the confidence. He's got the you know, the tie with Burrow, so you know, I'm really excited about it as well. All right, let's move on to the second round. What about Jackson Carmen? Uh, at first, and I know fans are going to be upset because they Tevin Jenkins is higher on all these boards and everything like that. It's easy to see why Frank Pollock would like Jackson Carmen. One, he got the seal of approval from Willie Anderson, so they called Willie before the pick, and Willie told him that Jackson's really good. The second thing is that he's got an elite combo kind of like Sewell of size, power, and movement skills. And that's just not something that you can find with everybody. I don't think Tevin Jenkins moves as well as Jackson Carmen does. The problem with Carmen 
and it's all over his film is just that he's very sloppy. His hand placement can get outside a lot, and his feet his feet are a little too uh, choppy. He gets happy feet, which is almost weird for an offensive tackle. He's gonna he's gonna be moving the guard, and I think that shores up some of his weaknesses without. And I think he can play there because the only difference really between tackle and guard is you're not one-on-one with guys as, as much on the outside moving around like that. You're in like a small area, but things happen quicker and people are bigger. But I think he can handle both those. He's 330 pounds to handle the big guys, and he's a really smart player. He's a really quick processor to handle things that are moving quicker. Now that's a great description of a tackle versus a guard with each one of those experiences. All right, let's move on to round three. Joseph Asai. Joseph Osai, I think, is was underrated. I I just finished watching film of him in 2019. He was playing off-ball linebacker for Texas. And then 2020, they had him in a role very close. He's playing very close to the tackle, so he doesn't get that free wide nine edge rush that everybody, everybody – that, that's where all these guys are getting these sacks from because it's really hard for offensive tackles to get out there like that. We got a guy that's right over, right over top of you. It's easier to get a sack that way. And he was two-gapping a lot, which slows him down. He's playing run first, basically. So there's all this leading, and he, and his production suffered because of it, only five and a half sacks. But I think he's very good. I think his hand usage is pretty good. I think there's some stuff he can shore up there, just placement and using his long arm a little better. I think his get-off is really good, NFL level, which is something you're always looking for in an edge rusher. He gets off the ball. He's very explosive, and that showed up in his pro day. I think he jumped like 40 inches on his vertical jump. So overall, I think he's going to be a good player. He's going to probably going to be a rotation piece this year with Hubbard and uh, Trey Hendrickson and Kareem. I don't know how often Kareem's going to get in there. It's important to have a rotation, but uh, I think we'll play him at seven and wide nine a little bit more, which will let his true talents rushing the passers show up. All right, what about round four, Cam Sample? Cam Sample is... uh, He's also listed as a defensive end, and he played close to the tackle, but I think he's going to be the guy that, that plays more of the five technique right up over top of the tackle. You can kick him inside the three technique uh, in between the tackle and guard. He's bigger, and he's a little bit stronger. Went to Tulane. Uh, he was, I believe he was the uh, senior bowl defensive MVP. So against top competition there, he did really well. He's strong. He's a good run defender. I think he needs... He just doesn't really have a pass rush move that he can go to when when he needs to. It's like we always knew Carl Lawson would go to that long arm and he'd try to chop and rip or swipe inside or something like that. He had a, he set everything up off that long arm, and that was a signature move. Cam Sample doesn't have anything like that, and his arms aren't long enough to use that move. So he needs to get with Hobby and work on – I mean, it's not like having a signature move, but it's just having a move you can rely on to win. And he doesn't have that. All right. What also in round four? What about Tyler Shelvin? I love Tyler Shelvin. Uh, I see so many people saying this is our worst pick, but I, I love him. I, he was supposed to go in the late first round last year at, when they were projecting like the mock twenty twenty one draft back then, and then he fell because he didn't play this year. He opted out, like a lot of people, and then also he had a terrible athletic showing at his pro day, and I think there's some concern that he can come in overweight. But he's a nose tackle. I don't care about his athleticism. He's 350 pounds, and he eats double teams for breakfast. I mean, this guy, he'll take on two guys, and they won't move him anywhere, and they're not getting to the linebacker. 
it's awesome to watch. He's going to probably come in and spell DJ Reader, who when you're when you're that big like DJ and Tyler are, I mean, you can't play ninety percent of snaps. It's just you're too large, really. But giving DJ a break so he can come in rested, and then also I wouldn't be that surprised if since DJ did drop some weight, if we're going to play DJ at three technique a little bit and let Tyler play some nose, I think that could be in the cards. I think he's an awesome pick. I think he's a really good player. Just needs to be controlled on his weight and his, and everything like that. But I don't know. I really liked it. I definitely don't think it was the worst pick of the draft or anything like that. Now, that's interesting. You mentioned that he could actually line up next to Reader in, in a certain formation, defensive formation. Um, wh- all right, last pick of round four. What about Deontay Smith? Deontay Smith, uh, another another small school guy. He went to Eastern Carolina. I haven't watched a ton, but he's long. He's big. He's, uh, well, he's tall. And he's not super large, but I think he's been putting on weight. Showed up at the Senior Bowl. Everybody likes his performance there. It seems like we like guys that perform well at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, he didn't really go against top competition or anything, but I, there's he's got all the traits, right? Like, he's got the arm length that everybody wants. I mean, his arm length is a plus instead of just being good enough to pass. It's actually an advantage for him. And he seems strong, good movement skills. Just need Frank Pollock to work his magic on both him and Carmen to shore up their technique, and we might have found two good players. Oh, that would be amazing. All right, what about round five, the kicker, Evan McPherson? Uh, he kicked the lid off of a Gatorade bottle from like 30 yards away. So, I mean, <laughs> that was cool to see. He's He ha- hasn't missed any kicks under 40 yards, and I believe he only missed a few beyond 50. It seemed like 40 to 50, he might have been a little bit off. Not off, off, like 40% or something, but like instead of 90, he was like 70% from there. I don't know much to say about kickers. He was he was by everybody's scouting the best kicker in the draft, and he had a 55 yarder, which was I believe a stadium long wherever he hit it. So he's got a pretty good leg, and it's cool to have a kicker. Uh, I think he'll probably be better than Seibert would have been. I don't think we're going to try to have an open competition. I think we learned from the Jake Elliott experience. Uh, very well put. And speaking of Frank Pollock working his magic. How do you feel about round six, Trey Hill? Trey Hill is a very experienced center in the SEC. I haven't watched a ton on him either, but he's a Georgia lineman, and they produce they produce NFL talent. I believe that offensive line expert Brandon Thorne had him as a fourth-round pick, as somebody that could one day become a starter and has good depth. So getting him in the sixth round seems kind of like a steal a little bit. What do you think of Chris Evans? Chris Evans, I think, actually plays kind of like uh, Geo. He's a good pass protector. He's a good receiver. They've actually worked him at the slot sometimes. No, that's really what we need. We need that guy that can pass protect on third down and then also run option and angle routes out of the backfield or wheels. He runs a great pass protector, but he's not going to run those things out of the backfield. I don't know how much we're going to see him this year just because we have all those guys, but I'd be welcome to see plenty of him. I saw some concerns about his academic performance, but really, I mean, I don't really care about that. He was apparently also working three jobs in high school, so I think he's, I think he has, uh, like, his responsibilities in order. He just wasn't, I don't know, college might not have just been for him, like, the learning part. All right, let's move on to the last pick, you know, kind of a question mark. What, what do you think of Wyatt Hubert? 
honestly don't know much. Uh, I did look up and see just where uh, a couple people had him, and they said seventh round. So I was like, all right. So we drafted a seventh round guy in the seventh round. That's all right with me. <laughs> and I saw the undrafted free agent list. There's a few guys that got signed already. We signed a punter. And a, amongst other positions, we signed a punter and a quarterback. So um, what are your thoughts on those two positions? I think it's interesting. I think they could be put onto a practice squad. Who knows? It seems like COVID's going away, but I wouldn't be surprised if we still have some extended rosters and have the ability to put those guys on practice squads just in case because you don't want to be screwed without your punter. Or, I mean, we have a backup quarterback, but you want to have a second one in case he gets hurt in the game. So you want to have three quarterbacks that you can pull up just in case. Yeah, I agree with the expanded rosters. Sands, how do people find you on social media? Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. Well done as always, my friend. I'll talk to you next week for the schedule release. Awesome. Talk to you then. Undrafted free agents. So the Bengals signed seven undrafted rookie free agents, and you normally see somewhere around 10 to 12, so they're probably going to add another few players. The way it works is you can add as many undrafted free agents as you can, but there's a cap on how much you can spend on all of them. It's somewhere in the $100,000 range, and they typically sign players anywhere from like $5,000 to $25,000. I think there was a player this year that got like forty-five, dollars but typically you're probably looking at the five dollars to $10,000 range for each of the players. So, you know, that enables you to pull seven to ten of them, you know, get them in camp. The most notable this year is Puka Williams, the running back from Kansas, and I believe that he wasn't drafted because of off-the-field issues. And I can see, you know, the public relations impact on that, and maybe that's why we didn't make him a draft choice, because if they would have drafted him in the seventh round, you know, it would have been all over ESPN and the NFL Network, how the Bengals drafted a guy with, you know, a checkered past, and maybe to avoid that, you know, they didn't draft him. They just signed him quietly after the fact. But he's another pass-catching running back. They're saying that he has a chance to make the roster. The only negatives are he's 170 pounds. So that's a little bit of an issue in the blocking game. Whether he's a good blocker or not, at 170, I mean, that's hard to take on, you know, a, even a 230-pound linebacker bearing down on you, which is a little bit on the smaller side. You know, it's hard, it's hard at that weight to take on those guys. So I don't know how well he's going to do in the blocking game. You know, we don't know what we're going to get out of a player like this, but, you know, hopefully he pans out. And then they took an Ohio State punter, so that's always fun. There was a clip of him proposing to his girlfriend while he was holding a kick for her. It was pretty cool. You should see it on social media. It made him likable. You know, it made some, it, it gave him an identity. It wasn't just this faceless punter. It's the Ohio State guy who proposed to his girl on the field. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him. Huber's going nowhere, but again, you just never know. Huber's getting older. You know, you have a new punter who you kind of bring up in your system, and he's even if you wave him, he's he's you know he's around on the street, and a guy that you can draw back on who knows the way you do things if something does happen to Huber. And they also signed a quarterback. You figure you want to get one more in that room just to take some. They call them training camp arms, just just to take some reps. And you never know. You, you never know what any player is going to do under the right circumstances. Uh, this quarterback had three ACL injuries in college, so. You know, that, that's a major red flag, but there had to be something there that, that the Bengals liked about him. So here he is, and again, you have your opportunity too. And then they took a wide receiver, a tight end, a defensive end, edge rusher, and a corner. So, you know, you, that's what you do with your practice squad and your undrafted. You, you know, you kind of grab at least one player from each position group 
for some depth and to roll the dice. So that's what we did. Expect them to sign a couple more. Like last year, the undrafteds didn't really make a big impact, and I think it was harder than in years past because of no training camp. And this year's kind of the same thing. So I'm not banking on any of these undrafteds to make a big difference this year, but you never know. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to go over the schedule release, and we're going to have a few special guests to help us do so. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.